Hi, I'm Dr. Shana, and I'd like to wish you a warm welcome to season three of the Mental Wellness Practice Podcast. We all have mental health, and this is a place for you to learn practical tips to support your mental well-being. In this season of the podcast, we're looking at different dimensions of wellness and how they affect our mental health. Today, I'm really glad to be joined by Christine Samaru, a writer, educator, and climate activist who's going to help us take a closer look at the link between environmental wellness and mental health. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm so, so happy to see you and to be on your podcast. You have been an inspiration um, to me for a very, very long time, and I'm so glad we're able to connect. Well, you are a tremendous inspiration to me, especially in this topic, which is why I feel so fortunate to have you. And I'd love to just dive right in. Can you tell us a little bit more about you and what you do? Yes. So I'm Christine Somaru. I use she, her pronouns, and I am an intersectional feminist and a climate advocate. Um, I am from Guyana. I'm Indo-Caribbean, and most of my work center the intersections of gender and climate justice, and definitely using the Caribbean and specifically Guyana as my landscape. Amazing. And thank you for your work, not just being here, but for your work at large. It really is inspirational. And I can't wait for everyone to hear a little bit more about that. You know, one of the things that I wanted to make sure we talk about today is this concept of environmental wellness. There are so many studies on how we're affected by our environment. You know, I think about all the studies that being out in green space, feeling the sun on your body, breathing fresh air, drinking uncontaminated water, right? And all of these things link us to nature and how we're better for it. And I'm hoping you can talk to us a little bit about how environment plays a role in our mental health. Yes, I love that question. And definitely we rely on the environment for everything. When you think about healthy water, clean air, our food, um, the clothing that we wear, everything, we depend on the environment. And we see that within the green spaces that you mentioned, within nature spaces, these are places that we can feel, um, we can feel better, we can feel our best selves when we're out in nature, when we're out in these spaces. And it's important to know that when we speak about nature, when we speak about the environment, we are also part of the environment. So as being as part of the environment, it is necessary for us to be in those spaces. And so I'm so grateful that you're making this connection of environment and health, because I find that we depend on each other is an interconnected relationship. Definitely, we relying on the environment and the environment, the health and the safety of our environment also requires us to take action. I love that. And you're using these really powerful phrases like we rely on the environment, we depend on the environment, we are a part of the environment. And it's interesting because as you're sharing that, I'm thinking all of that sounds so true to me. Yet I think about my life, my upbringing, people around me, there is this disconnection that happens, right? So I'm thinking all of that sounds so true that relates so that that fits for me. Yet there is this um, disparity, this separation, and you must see people experience that a lot. Can you talk to us about that distinction between, you know, people not realizing that we rely on, depend on, or are part of the environment? What, what's happening there? Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And, you know, 
Um, as people that live in the city, uh, we're surrounded by buildings. A lot of times we are disconnected from our intimate environment. And so we're not, we're not people um, seeing trees and birds and wildlife every day. So we can definitely feel a disconnect. But for example, where I'm from and where you're from as well in Guyana, it's really easy to appreciate nature because you're able to see it. And there is definitely this, um, there's a study that's, that's done that shows that when we feel disconnected from our environment, it also makes us feel like there's nothing we can do to protect it. It's important that we protect the things that we love and we are motivated to protect the things like, that we love. So if we're somebody that enjoys being out in nature, we see the impacts of being out in nature to our personal health, it will motivate us to take action when it comes to the environment. Right. And I hear from that is the general disconnection in our modern world from the environment helps us to create that mental divide, too, of we are not a part of the environment. But I absolutely agree with you. We, we are and we need that reminder. So thank you so much for that. Um, it makes me think immediately to the people who aren't in landscapes and, and in communities that do naturally appreciate the environment. You know, a lot of our more, more modernized places seem to unfortunately go the opposite direction. And I immediately think about folks there and their mental health and not realizing that they need, you know, to put their feet on grass sometimes or dip yeah. their feet in a body of water and what would you suggest for those folks who do want to dip into environmental care and environmental wellness, but it might not be as accessible? Yeah, I want to say that it is your right. Like I mentioned before, the environment is us. We are the environment and it is your right. And when you look at all the benefits that come from nature, it, it, it pays off to want to be in those spaces. And I also want to share that wanting to be in nature, wanting to be in these spaces, this is our um, natural way of being. When you think of traditional knowledge and when you think of the way traditional people live, even people from Guyana, when you think of um, you know, us being out and being out in the environment, um, cooking outside, like those are all traditional way of being. And so we've been disconnected from it. But what we have seen now in terms of building, there is this new idea of building with nature because even architects, and builders, constructions, they, they can see the importance of building with nature, um, being taking nature into consideration. But as indigenous people, we know, and from our own traditional knowledge, we know that our um, people have been doing this for a very, very long time. Thinking about Guyana and being out, um, you know, having a conversation with your neighbors down in the bottom house, in your hammock, those were the natural way of being. But all of a sudden, now we're also seeing this push um, towards creating green spaces that are great. But I also want to mention that sometimes the way um, buildings are being built, it can be seen as this luxury. Mm. You know, I find what you said must be it's validating for me at a personal level. But I just think about how so many people who are locked into cement walls, you know, that's just their natural environment day in, day out. They go from a cement space at home to a cement space at work, and it repeats and repeats and repeats. And how so many people desire, right, that window space, just put me close to the light, you know, can't wait to get outside for, for my break and take a moment outside. 
and how we've conditioned ourselves to believe that that's odd or something, right? Like, oh, you can be fine without the window. You can be fine without the walk at lunch, or you can be fine without doing that. And you shared such a wonderful reminder that we need that. That is our natural way of being. The environment is our natural way of being. You know, we've really disconnected from that. So thank you for the reminder. You know, I I think (laughs) also about, you know, and, and this is my truth. So I'll speak personally here. There have been times that I've wanted to lean into environmental wellness on a bigger scale, not just my feet in the grass and my skin under the sun it's well how do we make sure we have this earth available this way so other people if for generations to come can experience this too and sometimes and maybe part of this is my life with anxiety it becomes really daunting to me and i know i'm not alone in this i want to make a difference and you know sometimes people have even scoffed at some of the differences that i've tried to make you know like my non-plastic straws or my reusable thing, you know, people have made fun of me sometimes that I think, gosh, maybe they're right. Maybe I, it's just me. And that's not a big enough difference, but I really don't want to believe that. So you tell us the truth (laughs) when people are (laughs) in that zone that they're thinking, can I make that individual difference? Is it worth it? Not just for my self-care, but the community and global care. Is it worth it? I would say definitely, it's definitely worth it. And it's definitely important as individuals that we take actions. It's also important to understand the scope of the climate crisis and the climate apocalypse that we're living in. And a lot of times when we speak about it, um, because of the realities of climate change, even um, this year in July, we find that it was the highest um, temperature ever recorded. So it is daunting um, to think about. And for many, it's daunting to think about one person making a difference and the kind of difference that, you know, this one action would take. But it's important for us to know that as a society, we all need to rethink how we live on this planet. We have taken it for granted and it's important for us to take actions. And so there's many different levels of taking actions it's definitely important for us to be mindful of how we spend our money. So for example, you mentioned the straw. You have to you know, be mindful of the things you're buying and how much you're buying because consumerism definitely has a direct impact to waste in our landfill and also our consumerism, um, that whole lifestyle. So being mindful of the things that we're buying, being mindful of the people that we're voting for, being aware of current events and, you know, the people that we elect, it's really important for us to keep them, um, you know, keep them on their toes, so to speak, but also holding them accountable because it is our job as individuals to make sure that we're fighting for a planet that's sustainable for the next generation. We know that we have, we have come into this crisis and it's now our job to fix it. So I would say there are different levels to action. There are small actions that you can take, that children's, the children can take. Then there are um, medium-sized actions that you can take in your community. And then you can take larger action. And what I find is when you're taking action, you feel motivated. What fossil fuels company wants us to know is to believe that this climate doomism, that there isn't a solution. So when we feel this climate anxiety, we would feel like there's really nothing that we can do. But what I find is when I'm acting in community, 
when I'm relating to my community, when I'm grounding in my community, I feel so motivated. And it's not that the problem disappears, but I feel more motivated to be able to take actions. Wow. This concept of eco-anxiety that you mentioned is pretty mind-blowing to me. I had not thought of that before. And as someone who specializes in working with anxiety, (laughs) I really appreciate hearing about that. And I'm also thinking, man, that's really sad to think about anxiety being used against someone in that. Like I'm, I'm saying that and I, I get a little nauseous. I just like, that's, that makes me angry, right? So many people at the individual level think their anxiety is their issue, right? It's their problem. It's the way their mind is working. I shared with you honestly about my, you know, worries about, is this worth it, right? These self-doubts, but thinking that someone somewhere is benefiting from that or some somewhere institutions and are benefiting from that. That's a really nauseating concept. So thanks for shedding light on that. You mentioned there's small change, medium change, and that wider change. I want to talk about all three levels because the main thing of this podcast, I really want folks to leave understanding a lot more about environmental wellness, which you are such a vat of knowledge for but also the different options, right? I think sometimes when we think about self-care and coping or community care, this is your only thing. And then it feels more intimidating. I have to do this. Whereas if we lay out an array, people can pick and choose, right? Maybe you do one thing from each, maybe you do one thing today and next year you do another. So I'd love to talk about these different levels. And I'm hoping that as we talk about these levels, you also highlighted consumerism. And I think consumerism is often associated with self-care. You have to buy something to feel better. I don't believe that. Uh, I don't believe that's always the case, at least. So I'm wondering if as we explore the small level, the medium level, and the large level, maybe we can talk about the things that maybe is an investment, right? And that doesn't have to be a huge purchase, but is an investment. And then the things that are free. So Maybe we start with that small level. You mentioned even things that kids can do. What's something that might be, or some things that might be no cost at all, and then something that might be a little cost, but it is still small level change? Yes, I like this question. It's definitely related to how I I work and how I see the environment. I usually, I use an intersecting lens. So my climate advocate and my climate activism um, I definitely look at all the social aspect of it. And when I think of wellness and mental health, it's always at the forefront of my activism. So thinking of a free something free that you can do, it's important to, to take time to be in spaces, um, be in natural spaces. And if you have the luxury um, to be out in those spaces, doesn't cost any money. It's important to drink water, to sleep. These are all things that we need to continue our activism and again, taking care of our body holistically, exercising, if you take medication, taking your medication on time, eating healthy food. Um, these are all things that we take for granted. But in the larger scheme, when we are thinking about environment, when we are thinking about environmental health and wellness, we have to take these actions. And although I'm highlighting this as small actions, they're actually really, really big and they're really important. Small actions potentially on the day-to-day, but big and when they add up, right? Think about cost to the individual, cost to the community, right? So I hear what you're saying there at a small level. You know, and I think about um, 
getting out into those spaces, sometimes people do feel as though it is a privilege and a luxury that they might not have, especially depending on their environment, what their financial constraint might look like about it's not easy to get to a green patch or a beach or an ocean for, for everyone. So finding that space in their environment sounds like that's important. Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely a luxury as someone coming from Guyana. Um, I know, um, you know, the global north, when you have winter and so on, it's, it's you have seasonal depression and it's not always accessible to get to these spaces. Um, so definitely that is something that I don't take um, for granted and it's definitely a privilege to be out in those spaces. But if you can, definitely I encourage it and definitely going back to the elements, thinking about water and, you know, keeping your environment clean. Those are all things that help in overall well-being. Absolutely. What about that medium level? Medium level, definitely I would bring in community and also if, you know, we, we spend our money, um, our money has power, definitely the things that we buy on a, on, a, on a larger level. So being mindful of the things that you consume daily, the things that you're watching, the things that, you know, you're buying, like, what are you buying? How long is it lasting? And I know there is, again, a privilege aspect to this. And sometimes the environmental, um, the most sustainable items are definitely sometimes more expensive. But for example, if you are a person that menstruates, and in Guyana, we do a lot of my organization, we do a lot of um, work around menstruation and period poverty. So if you're a person that menstruates, you think about maybe you can use a reusable pad, a cloth pad versus a disposable pad, or maybe the, the diva cup, for example, or the period underwear, that's something that you would invest in um, you know, it's going to cost some money, but when you think about it for the long term, it's going to last a long time. It's going to create less waste and it's also going to help you to be more mindful. Uh, it's one aspect of you being more mindful in the things that you're purchasing. For me, I am very much mindful in the things that I buy. I really, really appreciate buying things local especially um, vegetables and knowing where things grow. And I really want to know exactly where my clothes is coming from. That's something that I've been very much focused on this year, being mindful of where my clothes is coming from, because there is um, so much fast fashion around. And so in Guyana, for me, it's important for me to support local seamstress and tailor to be able to like make my clothes. So I know I'm paying them directly and I know exactly that, you know, my clothes is actually coming from somebody that makes it in an environment that's safe. And, you know, there's no child labor involved. Also taking into consideration the climate of transporting the clothes. So those are two um, main elements and two aspects that personally I've been taking into consideration. Thank you for sharing those examples and even your personal experience. I love that. I am really struck by the idea of cost in this, right? I think that a lot of people are led to think about cost as just the cheapest thing, right? And you look for that dollar amount and that dollar amount only. And there is a privilege to even being able to consider there's another option, right? But beyond that, the idea of there is something that I might invest in that saves not only the cost in the long run, but could be helpful beyond me at a wider scale too. There's a longer term investment I think some people, we, we have to, I know myself, I'm not going to say some people, I have to shift that around. Culturally, it was always looking for the 
the cheapest thing, always, always looking for the bargain, the, the best deal. And now I'm thinking a deal looks totally different if you add in the environmental aspect. The deal is how do, how do we win and how does the world win and the next generation and the next generation too. It's a very different idea of thinking of that. Yeah, yeah. And again, this goes back to, again, um, traditional way of doing things. Because when you think about it, um, again, Caribbean households, like we're, we're told to like save containers to store food, like we reuse things. So it's important to like bring that culture back of reusing, um, using what you have. You don't always have to buy, um, thinking about, um, sharing clothing. That's something that I grew up, you know, it was never something that you always got your clothing every, every time you're going out. It was sometimes you got a new outfit once or twice a year and when you're done with that outfit you're going to hand it down to somebody else like a younger cousin and similarly somebody is going to hand down some clothes to you and and so I think about that type of living like when I think of our Caribbean living and also I can say uh, broadly the global south the way we have lived has always been in line with the environment but there has been some shift somewhere along that we you know being influenced by the North, especially um, this consumerism, this throwaway culture. Um, but I like to say you can take steps, for example, that saves money. For example, having a water bottle, for example. Um, you know, you save a lot of money in terms of carrying your own. And I know there is a push right now in terms of single-use plastics. Um, and they are, they are places, for example, I recently came back from Africa, from Rwanda, where no plastics are um, accepted. So they're to they tell you um, when you're at the airport, they don't accept plastic bags. So just thinking and reimagining a society where we don't have that throwaway culture, whereby we buy things to care for it. It lasts a long time. We're able to share it. We're able to share with our neighbors if it's something that, you know, that's still in use. We're also able to borrow from others. Um, and again, this expands this community culture. That is so beautiful. You're painting this picture of Rwanda and you mentioned like, imagine a society in which, and my mind just went, <laughs> oh, I'm hearing you. And I'm also off on your, <laughs> your task of imagining, because also when you were sharing the generational aspect and the not having throwaway culture, I'm thinking a lot of folks who are used to fast fashion, kind of born into a society that that's just increasing more and more. The idea that I might have something that would still be of quality to give down to someone at some time or give up and upcycle to someone, that's not that's kind of a foreign concept to me, right? That something would be able to be to last that time, right? Um, maybe a few things, but that would be an anomaly. Yet if we think about the quality, right? If we think about the local seamstress, someone who's making the quality material, then that is actually possible. It's a whole new way. I love this imagine a world where task. And I think that <laughs> everyone, we still have to get to the last tier. That's going to be a big one for us to bite. But I think everyone after this should give themselves the space and the privilege to stop, reflect, and imagine a world where, right? Imagine a world where that you can do all of these things across the small, medium, and large levels with ease, that the community is already set up for that to be in place. You don't have to worry about what do I do with this plastic bag when the country already says, no, we're not going to have that here at all, right? So that is that is a whole other thing. Thank you for that. I'm going to be in and out of imagining for the rest <laughs> of our time together. I'll try to rein it in. But 
So that last level, tell us a little bit about that wider level self and community care. Yeah. So the wider level, um, you know, and for me, I would say that it has taken practice to get there. I've been doing climate change work since I was a teenager. I've been doing intersectional work since I've, I've been a teenager. But what I would say is when you think of climate change, you have to think about social justice. There's no aspect of social justice that doesn't get worse when you add the climate aspect to it. So think about disability, think about gender, think about LGBTQ, think about people that are living um, day to day. When you add the climate struggle to that, um, usually the most the people that are most affected by the climate disasters when it happens are people on the front line who are surviving day to day. So for me, I think that's also daunting. And again, when you think of climate disaster, you're thinking of there is a lot of um, feelings that come with it because a lot of times climate disaster also bring about stress, stress in our community. We know that, for example, in Guyana, when we have um, a country that's already exposed to large, large, large number of gender-based violence, when you add natural disaster to that, that number actually goes up. So I think all that being said, when you come to this larger level, I think it goes back to the community and knowing about who in your country or who in your village or, you know, your community, your state, um, what is being done to address the climate crisis. Or if you're working in some other field of social justice, is climate being one of the things that you're addressing? Because it should be. And when you think of a future Um, all the work that we're doing, there is no career that wouldn't be affected by the climate. So I think of, for example, for myself in Guyana, um, at this larger level, I'm able to start an NGO, an organization that addresses gender and environmental justice. A part of that is understanding the intersections. So bringing in young people, bringing in children to understand environmental education, and then forming community within the Caribbean with other groups that are working to address the climate crisis. As I mentioned before, when you're working in community and there's different levels to community, there is a, there's a special place where you find that motivation, whereby you feel that you're not alone in this, where you feel that there is hope in this work because you're not the only person doing it. There is a community of people doing it. And also when you're involving other people, you, you'll also have a different lens And that's the intersections that I bring in because there's so many different ways to look at this issue. And when you think of climate, it's an issue of justice. And when you talk about justice, it's important to always, always include the people that are most affected by the issue. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) Thank you for that. I'm thinking about how we talked about this eco-anxiety. I mentioned my own worries about is it enough? And you just answered that on the small, medium, and large at such a consistent realm that I'm, I'm going to try to repeat that to make sure people are hearing what I just heard is, yes, the big level seems daunting because it does require. But when I was listening to you talk about the larger level, it isn't one person going out and taking down this huge task. It's, it's lots of people together communing, utilizing the avenue of community to make that change at the community level, multiple organizations coming together. So it's it's still kind of individualistic, 
but in the community lens. So if someone was thinking like myself, how daunting it is, it is still daunting if you're using that individual lens, hopping from small to medium to large. But if you see it as small, this is what I can do personally, medium, this is what I can do within my smaller sphere. And this is what I can do with my community. It's not as daunting, right? Because there's other people there doing it alongside you. It's not any one person's work. Yeah, exactly. I love that you summarized that so perfectly. And there's something that I like to tell people that the climate conversation, the climate justice issue, we need everybody. We need the masses of people to understand that even um, an organization like mine, I still need an accountant. I still need um, somebody that does marketing that that helps with communication. So any skill set that you have, if it's something that you just have a car and you want to help, that's really important when you're talking about bringing people out to an event. For example, like whenever we have events in Guyana, we need to bring people that, you know, have different disability and, you know, they they need car, they need to come out because it's necessary to have their voice there. So we need people to be able to go get them so they can come out. So when we talk about the climate crisis, I know it's, it's the way the media portrays it sometimes, and it's definitely intentional to make us feel like we're so disconnected. But when you look at it, and when you look at the lifestyle that you want, everyone really wants a healthy and a peaceful environment. Everybody wants to enjoy healthy food, um, healthy air, healthy water. These are all things that are human rights. Um, so when we come together, we understand that really we're fighting for the same things. And I mentioned before, it's an issue that affects everybody. Not everyone is affected equally. The most marginalized are going to be the most impacted. And when you look at social justice issues across the board, you have to look at it and ad- address it with some sort of climate lens. Absolutely. And I, I think that that's something I'm definitely taking away. I already utilize an intersectional framework, but you're really hitting on how it's affecting on so many different levels and everyone and I think that's an important takeaway. You know, I was I was hearing you, there was so much validation. I think about anyone who started listening, thinking, oh man, I know environmental <laughs> wellness is important. Not sure if I can do anything. What I just heard you say was, you matter, you're important, and we need each and every one of you. So please don't doubt that you're not important in this work. You can do your part and we need you to do your part. It sounds... I just think about how that totally turned around for for me as I was hearing you. And thank you so much for sharing that inspiration. But everything you've shared with us today, I I really, really value your insight, your experience, your advocacy, and your time. Thank you so much. And similarly, all the work that we do when it comes to social justice um, at the Breakthrough Collective, we also apply a mental health perspective because right now, for example, we have a mentorship of working with 12 young girls and they're between the ages of 16 to 23. And they're all interested in a variety of um, sustainable development things such as youth development, education, um, gender, climate. And one of the things that we've started out with is this mental aspect, this mental health aspect, because unless you are mentally okay, unless you know that within this community, you're safe to be yourself, you're doing unless you're doing this interpersonal work but also being a part of the community you wouldn't be able to take on a big topic like climate or a big topic like youth development or education so it's vice versa and i really want persons to understand the importance of both taking care of yourself 
and taking care of the things that you're passionate about and also understanding that the climate is something that it's a part of us. It's important for us to care because we live on the only planet that sustains life. So it's important that whatever action that we can take, whatever capacity we have, even if it's just to educate ourselves, to connect to a local group, um, some people are able to donate. Um, that's great. If you're able to donate di different um, shelters, different organizations, it all matters when it comes to the environment. Thank you so much for that inspiration, again, for your advocacy. And I hope that we will, I'll, I'll definitely share all of your information, Bread Food Collective, and also just your work in the show notes. So for if anyone um, who's wanting to learn more about Christine and her work, I don't know how you could listen to her speak without being inspired. <laughs> I am entirely biased. I was inspired by her before, but this conversation has really shifted me. And I'm sure that other listeners will definitely relate to that. So again, thank you for your time.